Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today we're talking about how to persevere on a career path when the odds are stacked against you. Marty Tan of Long Beach shares her incredible journey to pursue a career in aviation, an industry in which only 5% of pilots are women. She shares how her Buddhist practice of chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo helps her navigate being a woman, being out, and overcoming every obstacle that came her way in order to help open a path for others like her. Here is Marty. Hi, yes, I'm Marty Tan. I'm 34 years old. I'm from Long Beach, California, and I'm a pilot for a regional commercial airlines based out of uh, Los Angeles or LAX. Amazing. Um, So yes, I'm going to ask you a lot more about that in a bit. But why don't we start with um, Buddhism and kind of your journey to to start chanting? So how did you get introduced to SGI Nietzsche and Buddhism? And why did you start chanting? Yeah, all right. So my uh, parents were practicing when they were pregnant with me. They were actually refugees from from Cambodia, and they survived a, a genocide. Um, so there was a lot of deep sufferings. And when they came to the United States in the 80s, they were introduced to this practice. So uh, I was born into the practice, and I chanted here and there. And it was really something that my parents did. And even though I saw like benefits in their lives, like, um, it wasn't really something I was too serious about. But I did start uh, chanting and attending meetings at the age of 12. So this is uh, a difficult age in my life, and I was becoming my own person. And I didn't really know what that looked like because no one else around me looked like the person like that I was like growing into. You know, girls at that age were starting to wear makeup, and I just wanted to skateboard and wear baggy jeans But one morning, there was a knock on our front door, and my mother had me answer it. A young woman introduced herself as Maria, and she was going to take me to my very first youth meeting. And I remember hopping into Maria's little Honda Civic, and it was a stick shift. And at that point, I knew, like, Maria's cool. She's a cool person, and and we'll get along. But yeah, at home, I was... Uh, deeply suffering at that age. I was frustrated and angry all the time. And it was just an age where I thought I knew everything and and my family knew nothing about me at all. But this uh, encounter with my youth leader, um, it was the beginning of my practice. So she, she taught me how to practice. She took me to a lot of meetings, but she was also just there for me in my personal life. And without saying much, um, I was a very timid kid. Hmm. I hardly said any words to her, but somehow like she just knew what I needed and she knew just without me having to say much and it was just there for me. So that's where my practice began. And um, Buddhism has been constant and consistent for me, even if like it wasn't a daily practice uh, year after year, but that was one of the um, beginning points of my practice. And I like kind of restarted my practice uh, again and again and again throughout my adult life. Mm, I see. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I'm curious, you know, I'm just envisioning 
you you're, you said that you were kind of like a timid kid and basically it's through the community and you know friendship with other people and this um person who was supporting you that you like became open to buddhism but like the actual practice of chanting itself did you do you remember like at that age how it felt when you first started chanting and yeah just curious to know about that it was it was so embarrassing for me. I mean, I, I was okay to chant on my own, but in front of another person, I was so shy and it was like embarrassing to me. And uh, I was okay chanting in a room full of people because, you know, you kind of just blend in with the sound of unity and just chanting. But yeah, through my practice, it really just built more courage and um, just things that were uncomfortable to me, I'm, I'm learning to do as an adult, like making eye contact and just saying good morning to a complete stranger was was a difficult task in the past. Mm -hmm. I see. Wow. Yeah. So then like uh, when you started like your own, I mean, it sounds like as you describe, right, there's like many beginnings um, and and this kind of growing experience with the community and with chanting. Um, but like when did you first sort of start to see the difference in your life that chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo specifically made and like what made you want to then continue sort of as you grew into an adult you know yeah absolutely so um, in Buddhism we talk about human revolution which is like battling uh, the one thing like that that is stopping you from continuing your your I don't know your advancement in life and and my human revolution was um having a harmonious family and I grew up in a family that uh when we were young we didn't really hug each other or say I love you and somewhere along the line in my practice I don't like I didn't really pinpoint when it happened but um yeah there were more exchanges of like dialogue and hugging and telling each other I love you and actually apologizing when we're wrong. So there was that shift through my practice and it probably started happening when I became an adult and, you know, taking a little bit more responsibility for my actions. Mm. Is that something that you specifically chanted about? Yes, and it's it's an ongoing uh, battle, something I chant for every day to have a harmonious family mm. uh, between my sister and my mother and my wife. I and, and my in-laws. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Re human relationships are are the realm of all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, so why don't we move in to talk a little bit about work and then I might circle back with some follow up questions kind of as they okay. as they might come up. But um, so you said that you are a pilot now, which uh, is an awesome career I have met very few pilots in my life so I have lots of questions but I'm curious yeah. like um, where did that dream begin like how did you decide to pursue the career path to become a pilot was it like what you always wanted to do or yeah just tell me that story yeah cool so I've been flying um, almost 10 years the, the, this fall will be 10 years where, where I like set out to go into flight training and got my private license um, but I think unlike most pilots, I didn't always know I wanted to fly. Um, so my flying seed was planted somewhere in junior high school. And I attended a middle school named after Charles A. Lindbergh. And I had no no idea who that was at the time. So I looked him up and I just remember 
being so intrigued, like, wow, this this man, he flies airplanes and he's um, he's famous and he's soloed and uh, it all took place in like St. Louis, Missouri. And, and wow, my school is named after this person and there is nothing special about my school uh, in North Long Beach. It has very low ratings in the entire district. So I never really thought highly of my school but then I learned through the staff members on campus that actually the architectural design of our school is um, shaped as an airplane. I'm like, no freaking way. That is so cool. So that really sparked my interest in aviation. But um, growing up where I grew up and, and just being in an area of like poverty and whatnot, it, it never clicked to me that, you know, someday I was going to become a pilot. But through throughout through my years of like school and volunteering, um, just like most, like we don't really cross paths with pilots or meet pilots. So it was through my uh, volunteer in college um, at a camp in Colorado. I was actually a counselor for a Cambodian heritage camp, and then there was this coordinator that we exchanged a couple of words, and I I found out that he was a pilot at the time. No, he still is. And I was really interested and um, and there he doesn't practice, but there is a Buddha nature about him where he really took the time to like sit with me and discuss the industry in and out. You know, this is aviation. These are the, the goods and the bads. Are you still interested? I'm like, heck, yes, I am. But just like any dream, like it, it was scary. I never committed. I never committed until um, actually it was a dialogue with my sister and this dialogue took place shortly after our, our father had passed. And she called me up one day and she, um, we had a heart to heart dialogue, my sister and I, and she talked about wanting to create a legacy. I'm like, oh, a legacy. That sounds awesome. Like, what do you want to do? What are you going to create? And she told me at that moment that she was going to start a family and have a kid and a child of her own and um which was a really big deal that really inspired me because for as long as I could remember uh, my sister did not want children hmm. but the passing of our fa father uh, sparked this uh, desire in her heart and it inspired her to to start a family so with her sharing that with me that that really encouraged me to do something with my life as well and I didn't really have kids on the radar at that point but I'm like legacy like I want to do something too so I really dug deep about my mission and I'm like you know, I've been talking and thinking for years about going back to school and maybe studying aviation so that's when I like went back to my friend and, and committed and was like I want to do this and um it's huh. kind of where it all began yeah how interesting um and at that time like were you chanting or sort of because I'm just imagining like if someone is kind of in that spot right now, you have this turning point based on kind of this experience in your family and what your sister shared. But like, did Buddhism play a role in that as well? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, it'll happen all around the same time of like my father's passing and me wanting to jumpstart this career. Um, this is like also the time that my wife came into my life. And uh, we met and we kind of met twice in this lifetime. We met um, in our childhood 
And I hadn't seen her for over 15 years and we met again in our adulthood. And uh, when we were meeting, I was my practice was very inconsistent. It was up and down. But when I met, um, re-met Neri, my wife, or we were dating at the time, I uh, really wanted to show her this Buddhist practice and that I wanted to make it pretty clear this is a, a very important practice in my life. And even though I'm inconsistent with it, it is a big deal to me. And it was kind of weird. It was like kind of coming out as a Buddhist, like, hey, by the way, I'm a Buddhist practitioner. Mm-hmm. Just kind of get that out the way right away. And um, if you have any questions, let me know. But she was actually interested. Uh, she was interested in the philosophical side. And for two years, um, she attended all the meetings with me and just couldn't get enough of the like um, the Buddhist philosophies that were presented at, at our meetings. Mm. So yeah, from there, it was uh, all thanks to my wife that like got me consistently practicing again. I see. Um, okay. Okay. So it was like around this time that your sort of practice becomes more consistent. And then um, you sort of also decide that you want to pursue aviation. That's correct. So um, a lot of big changes in my life were like losing a, a, a parent was um, tragic at the time. And then here I am trying to like start a, a brand new relationship while like stepping into adulthood. I had just finished college and then and also uh, pursuing my dream in aviation. And I kind of just, just, just went for it. Um, I mean, I didn't really have like clear, concise goals of like how I was going to do it. I just knew the first step is to get into flight school and just train every single day. And I was part of this uh, training program that was on, that was seven days a week. So even if we didn't fly seven days a week, we had to be at the facility at the airport seven days a week, either doing ground school or flight lessons. So it was a big commitment and time. And, um, we were even asked to like not have a job at the time like there's no way you can hold down a part-time job there's no time for that so it's a lot of pressure at the time and um, doing that and kind of nursing a a brand new relationship and just finding myself finding where i belong in this world um kind of all coming together how did you feel when you were chanting or did you feel your own heart change in any way it's hard to say everything was just so gradual like it just kept building little by little Mm -hmm. but i knew there was a difference i knew there was a difference when um anytime i had a problem what was different was like i'm gonna go to the gohanza now instead of strategizing using my own strategy of like this is what i need to need to do to get there i need to do this this and that Mm -hmm. in my um aviation years I uh, was on the road so much I didn't always have someone to turn to physically or like Mm -hmm. because we're in different time zones I didn't I couldn't just call somebody for help so that when I was like deeply suffering in my own room somewhere I'm like I've got nobody at this late hour I only have my practice and and I'm just going to sit down and chat until I have clarity and and until I feel better. Mm. 
I hear that. Yeah, that's very real. Um, first, you know, for someone who might not totally understand what even it means to become a pilot, like what the actual training was, um, what did you have to do? And then how how did chanting sort of help you go through the challenges that you needed to? Gosh, the flight school I went through had a young, a lot of young pilots that were like young and experienced, but just also young in age. You know, some of my flight instructors were as young as 19 years old, and I was about 24 years old going through the process. So there was a lot of immaturity there. Mm -hmm. And um, it's so crazy because through my Buddhist practice and like I've been chanting to develop courage and to always be my authentic self. And here I find myself just being kind of tucked away and closeted all over again. I was just afraid to be myself because I was in this realm in this industry of like a male dominated field. And it's like, oh, it's already so hard being a woman trying to get through and no one's really taking me seriously. You know, I didn't want to add more to that. So I was just super quiet about who I was um, personally, and I never really opened up of who I was. I just showed up and I was just a student. That's it. Like I didn't let anybody in. I didn't let anyone know a thing about me. And, uh, fast forward a couple of years. And, um, now that I am where, where I am, I'm like confident in my ability and who I am as a young female pilot. And, um, I never want to feel that way again. And Mm -hmm. I always want to like encourage other young people going through this path or any career path where it's new and it's scary to like just be our authentic self Hmm. and I was scared that um if I was my open honest self being like an open gay person that um they were going to treat me differently or not allow me to continue my training or just um, give me really bad training and just kind of take my money and run for it. So, you know, there was a lot of insecurities in that area because it was just so new to me. Mm. But um, through my Buddhist practice, like I really transformed all the insecurities um, into courage and to not just stand up for myself, but to other people who may be struggling and feeling the same way. So uh, mm. these days I... I am connected to women in aviation and another group called the 99s. And it's a group full of like women pilots and young pilots and whatever their struggles are. Like, I want them to know that they can come to me and, you know, do my best to like handle their concerns or just give them a pep talk or whatever it is they need. Mm. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, yeah, that's really encouraging. And um, if you don't mind, us unpacking that a little I'm just visualizing like what you're describing like showing up at flight school these kind of young mostly males (laughs) um and kind of that experience of being closed off which I think you know people listening might be able to relate to in whatever context they might be in might be a different line of work um but how did that begin to change was there like a any turning point or did you have to take some kind of specific action or Yes, it uh, all started with dialogue. So even though I was the only female in my class and the entire flight school, so there were like different classes because everybody's on different phases of training. Um, I was the only female there, but I did confide in one person um, who I trusted. And I was 
open and honest to him about who I was. And he wasn't from the U.S. I think he was like, he was British. So <laughs> so he, he just couldn't grasp the idea of like, why would somebody hate you? For who you are I'm like Phil you don't get it <laughs> like it it happens um he's like nobody's gonna care and um I didn't believe him right away but those words really really stuck with me mm. so throughout my time at during my Long Beach flight school I I wasn't really open about myself but I learned I learned along the way like I will never feel that way again so even though I went through like other flight schools and through the various uh, flight jobs I had, um, I made sure that I was like open and honest about who I was. And like, here's my authentic self, take it or leave it. If it's not good enough, you know, I'll find a job somewhere else. Mm. And so far it, it's it's worked out. And um, I'm in a place now of, of leadership um, in my airline, I recently promoted as captain and I have the responsibility of like keeping everyone safe. And that even means like a safe space for them too. Mm. my, my coworkers, my flight crew. So, uh, whatever they need, I, I, I will have their back, but I also want them to know, like, I'm also someone they can confide in and come talk to. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Like what you're describing reminds me of the concept of um, karma into mission in Buddhism, like whatever yes. your circumstance or pattern or karma or struggle is can become like the thing that is the purpose of your life or how you encourage other people. Yes. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, it takes a lot of courage to to like dig that deep and be like, I'm going to intentionally show up differently in these spaces that I don't necessarily feel comfortable. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you remember when you were like, I'm, I'm going to just, this, it's going to be different this time, or this is what I need to pull out while I'm chanting or like how you did it? Yes. Yeah, so every time I encountered someone who wasn't thrilled about me being gay or um, whatever it was, I personally chanted for their happiness. I'm like, this person must be deeply suffering, you know, and maybe I had 10 seconds of this negative encounter with them, but they have to spend the rest of their lives feeling this way. Mm -hmm. So I made it my personal, like, goal to, to chant for their happiness and that I don't have to change who I am, but through this person becoming happy someday they can change change what's within their hearts and maybe we will never cross paths again but someone like me may you know come into their life again and hopefully the next encounter is a more positive one wow oh my gosh that takes also a lot of compassion takes a lot (laughs) yeah do you mind my asking you don't have to share if you don't want to but just like any specific episode or experience that you had where just to to this feeling to sort of like help us visualize it a little bit and understand the context yes there was a time where I was in Oxford Connecticut and I was um, there for a new job and the company gave us a hotel for the first few weeks you know just to get us settled in and they made it pretty clear you know after a few weeks you're going to have to find your own housing 
So I found this lady on Craigslist and I went to uh, meet her in person and she was a nicer older lady and she was clean and um, we kind of hit it off. She had a spare bedroom for me to rent and uh, I was like, I'll take it. And, um, and she didn't ask anything about me. I just asked a lot of questions about her, the basics, like, are you a smoker? Do you have friends? And making sure everything checks out. And uh, why do you need a roommate? And um, I talked a little bit about myself. And I used terms of like my partner, you know, back home, we have a dog together and a home together and talked about Neri. And um Maybe there being like an age gap. She really didn't understand what I meant, like a romantic partner. So uh, two weeks into living with her, um, she was really concerned about my well-being, though. So like that, that touched me. But I, I only had time to like go to training. Uh, I was pursuing my dreams of becoming a pilot. And I had just found this like little airline that I wanted to fly for just to build some experience there. But um, she was concerned about my social life. She's like, I really want to make sure you're taken care of and that you're making friends out here. I'm like, yeah, don't worry about that. I'm like, in fact, you know, I'm meeting a group of women tonight. We're going to this local bar. She's like, good. I'm good to hear that. Uh, she's like, I got, I have a good friend that bartends there. So then uh, the very next night, um, this is like the night before Super Bowl, I remember. She comes knocking on my bedroom door in the middle of the night and she was like super upset. She's like, I just came from the bar my friend works at. She just told me that the last night was like a lesbian meetup. And like, she was just so disgusted by that. She goes, I can't believe you. She goes like, this is unacceptable and you need to get out. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I'm being oh kicked God. out in the middle of the night. She's like, you need to get out of here. I can't have you living here. And she starts to talk about, like, I have a daughter and a granddaughter in this building. Like, this is disgusting. You need to get out. And I'm like, this is discrimination. You know, you're discriminating against me right now. Like, you can't just put me out there. She's like, I'm not the housing authority. I can, like, you know, pretty much get rid of anybody I want. So um, that was, like, the first time I really felt discrimination one-on-one -on -one like that. So um, I, I closed the door and... Of course, I'm in Oxford, Connecticut, and, you know, thousands of miles away from home of Long Beach. And uh, I think I called my mom first. I told her what happened. And her uh, her first reaction was, get out of there. I'll get you a hotel, whatever it costs. Like, don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, don't worry about it. Um, I can take care of myself, but thank you. And I hung up the phone with her. I just needed to hear some encouragement. And uh, then I just sat down in front of my gohonzan and just started chanting. Um, I didn't know what I was chanting for in that moment. I just needed some protection. I did feel like a little bit of fear in my heart. Like, I don't know what this lady is capable of mm -hmm. and what her intentions are. And she's told me to get out and I can't at the moment. I don't know how quickly she wants to get rid of me, but I told her I don't have a place to go tonight. So I just chanted until I felt better and was coming up with, with plans of what to do the next morning. And fortunately, um, I had a good friend that was in the city and he came and picked up all my stuff with me and he gave me a, a spare room to stay in for a little while. And um, I was connected to the local practice mm -hmm. of Oxford, Connecticut. And um, 
yeah, I connected to the women's division, which are like, uh, yeah, the women that practice in SGI of Buddhism in that local city. And they, uh, they took care of me too. And they were really there with me. And one of them grabbed me by the hand and she took me to the front of the altar and she just started chanting with me right then and there. And I, I knew I had nothing to worry about. You know, I was, I was really taken care of. Like these people have only known me for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and they're already like grabbing me by the hand and sitting me down and chanting with me, like, we're going to get through this together. So that was like an amazing part. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, a turning point in my practice. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that also so honestly um just hearing you share that episode and also thinking about sort of the conversation you describe with that friend in flight school um about like being able to be out and feel comfortable in that space and him him saying like no one's gonna care it just um makes me think that you know I, I, it never occurred to me, honestly, until you share this, but like part of having a career where you have to travel to many, many different places also means that you're exposed to more people than I think an average person would be exposed to in their life because you're not just in one place. Um, and to be able to kind of have the courage to be yourself anywhere is like a different kind of challenge. You know, it's sometimes so easy for us to like find our people that we feel like, okay, this is my place. And then you stay there forever. Um, so yeah. So thank you for sharing that. It's, it's really eye opening actually. That makes me wonder like along this journey to, you know, build a career for yourself in, in a kind of challenging industry, um, did you have like is there any buddhist concept or anything that you were studying since like buddhism of course is about chanting and the community and meetings but also like really practicing the philosophy itself um yeah is there was there is there anything that you've sort of held on to that helped you sort of make it to the other side there is a quote i would like to share that i i like to go back to anytime i'm struggling with work yeah and it's from daisaku ikeda of course and uh ikeda sensei writes a uh, quote life is an everlasting struggle with ourselves it is a tug of war between moving forward and regressing between happiness and unhappiness outstanding individuals didn't become great overnight they discipline themselves to overcome their weaknesses, to conquer their lack of caring and motivation until they became true victors in life. One reason Buddhists chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo each day is to develop strong will and um, strong will and discipline. And along those with those, the ability to tackle any problem seriously and with the determination to overcome it, unquote. Wow, I love that. Huh. Do you remember when you read that or like why you were drawn to it? Like what was happening at the time? Yes. Uh, my career journey hasn't always been like a linear state where it's like progressing. There were a lot of roadblocks along the way, a lot of moments of just being stagnant. Um, I started flight training and I went from like zero hours knowing very little about aviation to getting a commercial license, which takes 250 hours. So at the end of this course, um, you're guaranteed a job to teach. Mm -hmm. So just like when you were a student, you have your flight instructors. Well, in six to eight months, you'll be that flight instructor. And we're going to, 
you know, train you and teach you and um, you'll have all the flight experience to get you to the airlines. But I struggled in that area where the company or the, the flight school, but they're, they're more of a business or like, you know, I don't think you'll do well. So I think you're going to have to leave and get the rest of your training somewhere else. And then um, when you get your training somewhere else, then you can come back and work for us. Mm -hmm. And I was like, absolutely not. If you're kicking me out, I'm not coming back. So uh, they gave me a little bit of a refund, but it's it wasn't enough to like continue my training somewhere else. So during that two-year gap, um, I went back to one of my old jobs uh, doing payroll and also working as a, a vet assistant, veterinary assistant on the side just to build some income. And I promised myself like in six months, I'll have enough funds to uh, finish my training and become a flight instructor. But six months turned into two years and I just about gave up on my dream of becoming an airline pilot until uh, this friend of mine that I met at camp, you know, my counselor, um, his name is Kim, and he was uh, trying to pursue his dreams of getting on with United Airlines or flying for a major airline. So he was he was going to attend this Women in Aviation Conference uh, this very month in March um, in 2015. He's like, hey, I'm going to Dallas and I'm attending this conference and you should come with me. I'm like, Kim, I don't have the money for that. I'm trying to like get back into flight training. And he was like, don't worry about it. I got you covered. And he covered the hotel and he covered uh, my flight and half of the conference fees and just really took care of me and made sure that I was at this conference. And because I was at this uh, conference of like women in aviation and there were different all types of backgrounds not just pilots not just flight attendants we're talking about air traffic controllers airport operators and ladies that came from all over the world not just within the united states so this was this conference just like blew my mind i'm like there's so much to do in aviation so anyways i um i i looked across the conference room and i see like a big rainbow banner and I just like <laughs> headed for this booth. I was like, what are you guys? And we're like, there was a group of ladies. We're like, we're the uh, National Gay Pilots Association. I'm like, there, there's a group for gay pilots? They're like, yeah, you should join. So like I signed up then and there. And, um, and I was told there was a scholarship coming up and it was due in April, it was due in a month and you should apply. And, and I went home and I applied and I, I won this scholarship. So I was going to use this scholarship money to like pursue my flight training. And uh, I don't want to say too much about what happened next, but something happened with the instructor I was flying with where um, uh, funding was a problem. And uh, my my scholarship went to him because he was the owner of the flight school. So there was uh, an issue he he ran into with funding and he moved away from Long Beach and pretty much took uh, my fundings with him. And I never heard from him again. And it, it took me a long time to get over that. And it really chanted and chanted about the situation. Like um, I'm finally like moving forward uh with my career and something great has happened but um here I am like walking in into another wall uh, but I I really chanted for for his happiness you know it didn't 
start that way. Of course, a lot of like bad words came out and bad thoughts and feelings towards him. Like, how could he do this? I've worked so many hours with him. But um, in the end, I decided he needed the money more than I did. And I decided to like chant for his success and to just let it go and to just to just move on. Oh my and god. So it's like one thing after another after another. But I found a job through networking and talking to other pilots. I did finally land my first flight job as an aerial surveyor and I mapped out images of um, all across the country of the US and Canada. And I built a little bit of time doing that. And from there, I thought I was a hotshot and I was ready to fly for an airline. So that's when I applied for this little airline in Oxford, Connecticut. And uh, through um, my encounter there and having the falling out with the woman who was renting this uh, one one bedroom out to me, um, because that didn't go well, I just decided to to leave and not go home right away. You know, I chanted about it. And I just and then uh, at that time, I attended my second attended my second women in aviation conference. So it all happened around that time in March again, because March is Women's Month. Mm -hmm. So we always have women in aviation in the month of March. So I'm like, all right, before my final um, flight home, I'm going to swing by this conference and I'm going to make a cause. And just like how Kim helped me get to my first conference in 2015, I'm going to help someone get to this conference too. Even though I was struggling and I didn't have a lot of money, um, I contacted my local flight organization in Long Beach, the 99th, and I said, hey, I'm going to Women in Aviation. It's in Orlando this year. And uh, whoever needs a hotel room, I've got it covered. I've got to cover their hotel. And a, a flight attendant with United Airlines took me up on that offer. Um, and she wasn't just a flight attendant, she was also a pilot in training. So this was going to be her first conference. And I really wanted to make that impact. So it was like my final cause to make before coming back home and just trying to figure out what my uh, next steps were. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What an incredible your spirit to like keep going is mind blowing keep going and never give up and just drag somebody along with you. <laughs> like if you're in the dirt, I mean, don't drag them down in the dirt with you, but lift somebody up and you'll be lifted too. Yeah. So when did you finish your training and, and get to where you are now? So after that conference, I, um, I was chanting for another job to build flight experience. And I think I applied to over 20 different positions and all came back as no. So I made a call to my former company doing the aerial survey and I, I asked if I could come back. And it wasn't, it was a momentary like feeling of defeat, but really it wasn't a step back at all because it was a way to build more flight time, build experience and really just humble myself and I got to see a lot of amazing cities that uh, the U.S. has to offer and even parts of Canada. It was an amazing opportunity. So I'm currently flying for regional airlines, which is an incredible company I'm flying for. But I do want my, my dream is to fly for a major airline someday. So 
I am preparing to make a transition in my career and kind of move up in the industry. Um, not exactly sure what that looks like right now, but um, I'm building myself up and I'm helping other people along the way. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Just because you mentioned this, because it is March and it is Women's History Month, and you've touched on this a little, if you don't mind my just kind of adding this last thought, um, you know, like being in a male-dominated industry and now having like a decade of experience in it personally, I wonder, like, do you have a vision for the future or like how when you think about not just your own career, but also like you as part of this this larger career path or this larger industry how do you think about it or what is sort of your vision yeah my vision for the future of aviation industry is just to have more diversity and I think uh women in the work field um in any field I think we take up close to 50 percent of the work field but why is it that in aviation less than five percent are women so I want to close the gap and I'm doing everything I can to inspire other young women to join this industry, you know, please become pilots uh, because women are amazing and super capable. And I think because we come from a long line of like not seeing female pilots in the flight deck or in the media, you know, maybe it's not something we really think about, but um, we're a growing industry and we need more women because uh, that is how the world will change. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, well, I always close with this this question, um, which is for anybody who's listening who might be new to Buddhism and maybe struggling to pursue their own dream, you know, whatever career path um, or otherwise it might be, what one piece of advice would you give them? Can it be a little bit longer than the piece of advice? Please, yeah, yeah. Because this is like Absolutely. something I, I do as well. Yeah, so my my advice to all of you out there listening and, and um, trying to pursue your dreams and are struggling is to uh, break down your, your dream into as many small sections as you can. And these sections should be like actions you need to take in order to achieve your dream and write them down and be specific. Then write down a date next to each item. Now each goal must have a due date or else we're just shooting an arrow without a target. And with each item that is written, have a clear purpose behind each action. You know, why do you want to achieve these things? Then every morning and every evening, look over this piece of paper, you know, find a nice quiet place and chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo over and over again for as long as you can. In Buddhism, we practice for ourselves and for others. So while you are pursuing your dreams, find someone who is struggling along the same line of work and chant for their success. Mentor them, help them succeed. Even if you feel like you're unworthy or don't know enough in your industry everyone feels that way at some point just never give up and i promise you great things will happen marty's story reminded me of these words from daisaku ikeda which i'll leave you with today he writes 
Nature in Buddhism enables us to reveal our most intrinsic nature, to fully reveal our unique potential, to develop our character and bring our true self to shine. To do this, we need life force. A strong life force will bring forth the most positive aspects of our personality. All rivers, irrespective of their differences, flow unceasingly to the sea. If we too continue to make persistent efforts, we will eventually reach the great ocean of happiness for ourselves and others. We will savor boundless freedom and potential, shining brightly while celebrating and encouraging others' individuality. In this sense, the fact that by persevering through every challenge, Marty has been able to open a path not only for herself, but for countless other female pilots deeply moved me. And the life force that Ikeda refers to is none other than our intrinsic bootability, which we can tap into by chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo each step of the way on our own unique path. We'll continue to explore career stories on future episodes of the podcast as well. In the meantime, a friendly reminder that if you have questions or would like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.